Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church. So we are talking about being anchored in Christ. Our passage from Hebrews chapter 6, which I love so much, starts off talking about the promises of God. Then it talks about Abraham and how he inherited the promises. Then it talks about God's nature and his truthfulness and his trustworthiness. And then at the end of the little passage, it says this hope we have, this hope we have, we're hoping for something. You know, hope is where you're dreaming and imagining of something that is not yet in your grasp or in your presence. And this hope we have, there's, there's something we can't quite see, but it's a hope. But then it says it changes from a hope to something certain. And last week we talked about how faith is the evidence and the substance of hope. So hope moves into faith when it becomes an anchor. And listen to what it says. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner Jesus has entered for us. So I would like you to just imagine this picture for me. We're sitting on a boat. The wind is blowing, the storms are raging, we're worried, uh, we may get blown off course, we don't know if we're going to get to where we want to go, and we tr we've tried to throw out things that will keep us in position, but they're flotation devices. They are, they're just things that also get blown around by the wind, and so that may be relying on my family members, relying on my money, relying on my social status, my race, whatever it is, we rely on worldly things and they crumble and eventually we get told that there is an anchor point where we can anchor our souls, our, our raging emotions, our worries, our thoughts, our, our fears. We can anchor ourselves into something, an anchor for the soul that is both sure and steadfast, but it's below the presence of the water. And so we look at the water and it's a shimmering, slightly opaque surface. We can see a little bit through it, but not clearly. We see a reflection of ourselves off the water, but we're told that there is something sure and steadfast underneath there. And we've got to take this anchor a little bit like Peter taking his body and walking off the boat when he walked on the water. We have to take this anchor, which is our trust. We decide, I'm going to change hope into faith. I, I'm going to rely on this thing. We take an anchor and we throw it into an unknown realm, into the presence behind the veil. What's the veil? Well, in the illustration of the anchor in the water, the veil is the surface of the water. In the illustration of the temple, the veil is the curtain that separated the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, from the holy place, which was just outside. And for Jesus, we're told that he himself was the veil. He, his body was torn into to make a way for us to go into God's presence. And there is a way for us to put our hope to put our faith, to put our trust behind the veil into another realm, the unseen realm, the underwater realm, where the rules are slightly different. Light refracts differently. We can't quite see things the same. I can't breathe easily. I need apparatus to be able to breathe there. Um, the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So I know that in my natural body, I can't understand the things of the Spirit. 
But today I want to show you there is a way for us to see the unseen realm behind the veil, the presence of God, and to be able to trust it and know that it is sure and steadfast. And it is something that God has given us. It's his word. You know, Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what that means is that, you know, hearing is one of your five physical senses. You can see, you can hear, you can touch, you can taste, and you can smell. And using those five senses, we get evidence, substance of what's around us. We can interact with the world around us. But there's an unseen realm. The spiritual realm is invisible. We're told that God is spirit. We're told that God is invisible. We're told that we walk by faith, not by sight. We're told that faith is the evidence and substance of things not seen. Paul says, I focus on not what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. There is a realm which is outside of my five senses, the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, the presence of God behind the veil, the eternal thing that everything physical was made out of. And when everything physical is destroyed, the spiritual realm will remain forever. There is a realm that I can see and understand and access by God's word. <laughs> it really is an important and amazing thing. And God's word is unchanging, unchangeable, alive, living, beautiful, powerful. And we can read and hear God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We can use our five senses, either hearing or reading, to consume God's word. And using our normal physical senses, we can switch over into a, another sense, a sixth sense called faith which enables us to see and perceive the unseen realm. Now, you might say, boy, this sounds weird. This sounds crazy. And last week, I went through Hebrews 11 to give you an illustration of a list of so many people who used faith to see the invisible, the Bible says, and it changed the physical world around them and it changed themselves. And so I want to show you that as we read God's word or hear God's word, it changes us. It gives us an insight into this unseen presence behind the veil, and it enables us to put an anchor in there so that we're grounded in that world, that real spiritual world, instead of being grounded in this physical world. We still live in this world. We still have to interact with everyone and everything around us, but we have a secret grounding, a secret foundation and anchor in the spiritual, in the heavenly world, and God's power flows into us as a result. So let me read you a couple of verses. Let me just start with our passage in Hebrews 6, talking about the promises. Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And those are the words that God has spoken. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So I want you to see that Abraham's faith was founded in God's trustworthiness and the words that God had said. In verse 16, For men 
indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. It says that even though God didn't need to, when he speaks, it is a promise because he never lies, but he double promised this particular promise to Abraham just so that Abraham could be especially sure of it. It says in verse 18 that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The two immutable things. The first is that God doesn't lie. The second is God promised on top of just saying it. He swore saying, surely I, I promise I will do this. Um, and so what we see is that the words that God said to Abraham were the, the method, the, the carriage that brought him the knowledge of God, his trustworthiness and his will for him. And it was that that he could latch his hope and his faith into. And it was that that enabled him to inherit the promises. This hope we have is an anchor, both sure and steadfast. So we see that God's promises and his words are so, so important. Just another verse, a couple of chapters later in Hebrews 11, verse 1, I've already quoted, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, when I say the word substance and evidence, you think of uh, court evidence, something presented in a court case to prove a point. The substance means something I can touch. And the evidence means something I have sensed with my five senses. But what this says is that there is a way of getting substance and evidence for things not seen. Faith is the substance and the evidence of things not seen. And so what happens is through God's word, which I'm going to show you in a moment, we are able to awaken a sixth sense that enables us to see a realm beyond our five senses. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. What are the worlds? That means the physical universe. Planet Earth, all the other planets and stars, everything material, the elements, everything physical was framed by the word of God. So God's word took from an unseen spiritual reality and made physical things just by saying them. And it says we understand that by faith. We get an insight into what happened behind the scenes. But then it, that verse goes on to say, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The raw material for everything that is seen, everything in this universe, the raw material came out of an invisible, intangible realm, the presence behind the veil. But it was God's words that bridged the gap. One more very important verse is John 6 verse 63, which is when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he has said some words to them that they struggled to understand that they were having a hard time. And Jesus said in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. What he was saying is he had just fed the 5,000 with physical bread and they kept following him for more physical bread. And he was saying, no, I am the bread of life. And then the disciples were trying to understand this. And Jesus said, the spiritual is more important than the physical. You need physical bread, but it's, it's a temporary thing. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit, the real bread, me, the eternal spiritual realm that you can't see and touch, 
That's what's most important. The spirit gives life, eternal life. The flesh profits nothing. It might keep you alive for a while, but if you only have physical bread and not the real bread of the spiritual life, you won't live forever. But then he goes on to say, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. He says there are these two realms, spirit and flesh or material. The spirit is the one that's most important. It gives you eternal life. But then he said, the words that I speak to you, which are part of this physical realm, but they bridge the gap between the two. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Isn't that amazing? So what do we do with this? I want to show you that, first of all, God and his word is unchanging and unchangeable and trustworthy. In Jude chapter 1, verse 3, Jude, the brother of Jesus, is writing and he says, I, find it, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And when he says the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, he's talking about the truths in God's word. Um, he says, contend for this truth that was once for all delivered. It's not going to change. God's word is the same forever. Um, he says in Psalm 119 and verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's, it's from heaven, that unseen spiritual realm, but it's settled and we have it as his word now here forever. Psalm 138, you have magnified your word above your name. God has put such an emphasis on his word that he makes it even as important or more important than his name. And at the beginning of John, the book of John, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He equates his word with his son and with himself. And so God's word is this very precious, beautiful, amazing thing that enables us to see into the spiritual realm and which we can rely on. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. He says the word was with God. The word was God. Uh, the word was Jesus, but it's also the scripture, the written scripture, and we can rely on his word. It's settled forever in heaven. It will never change. God doesn't change. He says in Malachi 3, I am the Lord, I do not change. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's trustworthy. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? God can be trusted. He's reliable and he's given us his promises because he wants us to rely on them. Listen to 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Friends, God has given us promises. And he wants us to rely on them. There's a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, which says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him are men to the glory of God through us. There's a reason God gives promises. There is a reason that God 
wants to communicate and give us his word. And it's because he wants us to rely on his promises, to ingest his promises, to look into this amazing realm of the spirit, and then to take our hope and to put some willpower behind it, to throw the anchor in and to say, Lord, I trust in you. Can I just ask you, my dear friend, are you studying God's word? Because if we spend more time looking with our physical senses and hardly any time looking at the spiritual realm at God's word, it's very likely that we will be completely consumed with this world. And there's no way that we can put an anchor into that presence behind the veil and into God's word if we don't study God's word. There are many times where I found that my faith has grown weaker and weaker and I'm at risk of, of concentrating only on this physical world around me. And what I've done is I've started studying God's word again, just reading it, just saying, Lord, I want to just get lost in your word. I read his word. I read a short passage, three or four verses, and I start to imagine the scene. I imagine Jesus healing the blind man's eyes or Peter walking on water or whatever it is. And I start to put myself in that picture and I imagine it and hope springs and then faith springs to life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then I start to put an anchor in it. And then God says, will you choose to believe this? And, and I'm prompted in my heart to say, yes, Lord, I will. And he says to me, will you throw out those other beliefs that you had which were wrong? And I say, yes, Lord, I will. And often there is some action that's required as a response to God's word. But God's word gives me uh, some firm evidence, some firm substance that I can plant my hope and my anchor into the faith that enables me to be sure and steadfast, founded and grounded. I just want to talk now about the fact that there is a double promise given in this passage in Hebrews. And I'm going to talk about this in a bit more detail in future weeks. But I just want to mention the fact that he says that by two immutable things, we can have a sure and steadfast anchor. So he says, men swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. What's he talking about? He's saying that when God promised Abraham in Genesis 22 that he would bless him and multiply him, he said surely and he swore by himself. Um, he, he made a, a double promise. You see, when God speaks normally, it is a promise because he can never lie. Anything he says is a promise. But in this case, God added an extra oath to it. And it says in verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope before us. And I'm just going to introduce this idea to you now and go into it a little bit more in my next talk. But God's normal words are promises that you can rely on. And we've already read that 2 Corinthians 1 says, no matter how many promises, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. And the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All of God's promises are reliable. He cannot lie. He is trustworthy. He doesn't change. He's given us his word. He's exalted his word above his name. But there is another category 
of his promises that he calls oaths, which are more sure. Now you say to me, what do you mean by that? Let me explain. If God gives a promise that also involves your willingness or your involvement for it to come true, it is still a promise, but it may or may not come true depending on your response to it. But if God makes a promise which doesn't depend on you or me and which God is going to do no matter what, then it rises to another level of promise, which is what he promised with an oath. And there are two Greek words. There are, are several Hebrew words that relate to this in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there are two Greek words that relate to this. The first is fellow or thelema, which talks about God's will, what God wants. But it's his desire and it depends on other people. So, for example, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. That's the word fellow or thelema. Jesus said, I wanted, I desired, I wished, I fellow to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not fellow. You were not willing, and so it didn't happen. There are many examples of this. In Matthew 18, uh, it says that God doesn't want any of the little ones who follow him to fall away. But then he says, but they will. Many of them will fall away. So it's his desire, his, his will, his fellow, his wish. Um, but it involves two parties. It involves a human response. Another example is John 7, verse 17. It says, if anyone wills to do his will, he will know whether my doctrine comes from God. Um, God's will is his fellow or thelema, the thing that he desires, his wish. But I've got to will it as well, and then I will understand his word, and then we can walk together. Uh, another one is where it says, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his desire and his wish. But if people don't respond, then they don't all get saved. And so we can see there's a level of promise or, or expression of God's will in his word that we know is God's will. And when we match our faith and our willingness to it, we walk it out and we see it happening, although other people's will can affect it. Um, and, and it's important for us to know that by far the majority of the places in the Bible where it talks about God's will or this word, fellow or thelema. But then there's another word, bule, which only appears about 12 times. It's very rare. And it speaks about God's determined will, which is going to happen no matter what. It's his oath. Um, and it's usually translated counsel or purpose. And it actually occurs in this passage here. So let me read it to you. Thus God determining bule, to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, Bule, confirmed it by an oath. So we see there's a normal level of God's promise where he says, this is my will, this is what I will do. But often there is a human element of uh, cooperation involved and, and it may or may not happen depending on people correspondingly believing and agreeing and working with God. But then there is a level of oath where God says, this is my bule. This is my determined counsel. Thus God determining bule to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, his determined will 
confirmed it by an oath. And so that is why there are these two levels of promise, because there are some things where God says, this I will do. And in the next talk, I'm going to show you what that will is, that normal will and that determined will, because if you and I flow with God's determined will and his expressed will, boy, nothing can change us. So what am I saying today? I want to show you that looking at God's word gives you a, a image below the surface where we can see behind the veil. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see as in a mirror dimly. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, we gaze at his glory as in a mirror. James chapter 1 says, anyone who looks at his word and doesn't obey is like a man looking in a mirror who doesn't do anything about it. And so God's word is like a, a dim mirror where we can see behind the veil. But as we see more and more, we put the anchor in. It's firm, it's steadfast and sure. And it is something that anchors our souls so that the emotions of the world, the circumstances around us, other people's interactions with us, our own guilty conscience can't blow us off course. We don't throw out flotation devices to other earthly things to try and keep us firm and on course. We believe and we firmly grounded in God's presence, in his will, in Jesus' work for us on the cross, and in his word settled forever in heaven. And we will be anchored. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.